tax-advantaged investing. It's tough to find three words in the English language as pleasing to the ear as those. I caught up with Zach LeMaster, founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement. We chatted about investing via self-directed IRAs and solo 401ks, the shift of a homeowner nation to a renter nation, rental income surges, and predictions, and a fun dive into the southwestern Florida rental real estate market. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. I'm joined today by Zach LeMaster. He's the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement. Zach, thank you so much for joining. Dalton, it's a pleasure to be here. I know we're going to talk about a lot of exciting stuff as we're moving into the new year. And uh, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, this is uh, one of the first episodes of the year and good to sit down with you and talk to me about rent to retirement. I don't think you could come up with a better name. How'd you lock that name down and give me some of the backstory of what you all do at RTR? Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit of a, a tongue twister, but very true to the name in terms of you know what we try to accomplish for both our, ourselves and, and our clients, very much building a rental portfolio to provide some level a retirement for investors, really whatever position they're in. If they're a newer investor, if they're looking to scale and diversify, whatever the case is, real estate has really been, for us, Dalton, um, a game changer with with our own life. I actually have a, a medical background working as an optometrist, uh, as does my wife. We met in school in Oregon many years ago. I went into the Air Force since I was on scholarship for uh, seven years and spent seven years in the Air Force as an OD and then moved to Colorado after I exited the Air Force to work as a full-time optometrist here running private practices. During that entire time, we invested in rental real estate, um, starting very slow. Even the first house we purchased was just a duplex, rented out half, lived in half, ended up trading that up, doing it, you know, uh, well, we didn't have to do a 1031 on that one, but it ended up just scaling up every single year. Every single year since that first duplex, we bought more and more real estate and then strategically started to invest in different areas where we can maximize our returns, not just being focused on our, our local market, wherever that was. And then we got to the point where we were able to replace our active income with real estate investing that allowed us to you know, retire essentially from the healthcare career fields and take on a full-time investor kind of position. And so a lot of our friends and, and family were looking at that saying, that looks very interesting. We want to participate in real estate. We love the benefits of real estate ownership. We don't know where to start. How do you invest out of state? And hence the, you know, rent retirement was, was born. We're assisting investors in building passive income portfolios in the markets that uh, offer, offer the best returns. We're a turnkey company, meaning we essentially sell investment properties, to clients that are fully renovated or new construction, which we work a lot with Lima One on. Um, to you know, set them set themselves up to be in a scenario to obtain some sort of financial independence or retirement picture. So that's kind of a quick backstory on myself. Yeah, I want to I want to unpack that last part a little bit. The space of real estate investing is incredibly crowded with educators, right? For all different types, you have on one end of the spectrum, you could say masterminds, uh, kind of the the quote unquote more elite education groups, peer-to-peer type groups. And then you have on the other end, folks looking to get into it, uh, get into real estate investing for the first time. You have kind of local meetups. Talk me through your competitive advantage a little bit because rent to retirement isn't, I don't see it and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see it as 
just an education piece, it really is kind of a full service game plan maker. How how would you how would you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we work in the turnkey space. Turnkey is a very broad term that people have many different definitions of. And so we always want to clearly define that. And really our competitive advantage, Dalton, is not just we're not just selling properties to to clients. We're helping them build a comprehensive business plan because that's that's what you're doing when you're investing in real estate. You you are building a business. And there's ancillary things that come along with that to ensure that you're going to be successful over time. You got to make sure you have the best financing options in place. Ensure you have the right um, CPA and attorney to make sure you have your legal structure set up. You're doing taxes appropriately. In my opinion, the best benefit of investing in real estate in, in general is the tax benefits. It's like the tax code is exclusively written for real estate investors. So, I mean, our approach to assisting investors is to build a comprehensive business model and assist them in accomplishing their goals over time and stay engaged with those clients. Everyone is in a different position with where they're at in their investing career. Some people are just getting started. Some people have a large portfolio and they're looking to diversify, exchange up, whatever the case is. We have built an entire network just from being successful investors ourselves to open that up to our clients. So yes, we're selling turnkey investments to people that want to be you know, a passive investor or diversify into the different markets that offer the best returns. But there's a lot that goes into that from a coaching and mentorship standpoint. We, As you mentioned, we see a lot of people in the education and these gurus out there that are offering seminars and charging people exorbitant amounts to do that. Well, in my personal opinion is true education comes from hand-on experience and actually yeah. investing. You can research and read all day long, but you know, actually having that core group, that network of people and surrounding yourself with people that are already successful with where you want to be is the best place, in my opinion, to accomplish the success. You don't need to spend high dollar amounts of money on education when you know, you could easily work with with a mentor or a team that assists you in actually building your own portfolio and, and simply learn over time. So I think that's our competitive advantage, at least in the, the turnkey space, is a simple fact that, you know, we obviously have our strategy to identify the markets that offer the best cash flow, equity and appreciation, but also coupling that with building an individual investment plan for the client, for our investor to help them be successful over time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big differentiator, and you hit the nail on the head. In my, you know, I'm call it personal opinion that, you know, the the hands on learning piece, right? For this, you 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 could sit in a classroom for hours and hours and uh, days and weeks and months and years working on the spreadsheets and talking to folks in the space, but to actually learn this space, you have to you have to do deals. You have to acquire real estate to be a real estate investor and everything outside of that is 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 just pre real estate investor so that's it's a big differentiator on the turnkey space and uh i want to talk about rental income for a minute right so so hpa home price appreciation that has been up and to the right uh for the last 18 24 36 for, for really the last few years the last year and a half it's been astronomical but one thing I think folks often forget, I think the the home price appreciation piece buys the headline space a lot of the time, but rents have surged to a greater degree in a lot of cases. And do you see any issues with the pace at which rents have throttled up over the last 18 months? I think it's hard to make a, a general assumption across the country because there's the, we really need to look on a microeconomic scale and evaluate each market individually. 
absolutely there's an affordability standpoint in in some parts of the country where rents are getting out of hand and you've actually seen the government come in and initiate rent control uh, which is a very challenging thing from a from an investor perspective where you're capped on what you can charge um, and uh, you know having a, the additional regulation that uh, is imposed on the the property owner a lot of the parts of the country that we focus on are your middle class rents this is usually your eight to twelve hundred dollar rent range. This is kind of your bread and butter uh, investment housing that is always going to have demand. You're always going to have affordability in those in those price points as, as well. That gives us a lot of you know we're not doing these high end luxury houses where I, I do think to your point there absolutely will be you know an affordability standpoint. Same thing with appreciation. We've been riding this train for a long time, and people have been talking about a potential correction or you know whatever the case is and. Um, I think that will happen at some point, probably. I mean, everyone wants to compare to 2008 in no way, shape or form. Are we in any sort of similar sort of setting? But uh, I think it's going to be very much market by market in certain parts of the country. You may see some areas where appreciation and, and rental increases are either capped or we start to see a, a slowdown at some point in time. The areas that we focus on all cash flow. And that's really the, the core message. I mean, we want to be in areas that have things like landlord-friendly legislation, low taxes, population and economic growth. But fundamentally speaking, our, our main core criteria is ensuring the property's cash flow. Because that way you have, I mean, if you have a tenant in your property paying rent, it's a sustainable property. The market can really do whatever it wants um, in terms of values. And, you know, we know that all real estate goes up over time. But um, I think that's how you create a sustainable business model and focusing in different sectors of these these markets where you do see consistent affordability for rents. Yeah. So what markets have you excited right now? There's, I mean, there's a lot of different markets for, for different reasons. Kind of the, the markets that we focus on are a lot of the, the Midwest and Southeast. Mm -hmm. uh, these would be the markets that, that federal criteria we talked about uh, previously from a tax and, and uh, legislation standpoint. Also, where we see high rent to price ratios to be able to actually have positive cash flow. There's a lot of areas that you can't, you simply can't cash flow, East and West Coast being, being a lot of those. So we invest heavily in Ohio, Missouri, um, Indiana. We do a lot of new construction in areas that still have affordability, but are growing dramatically in terms of price points. This would be more of the Southeast, Florida being one of the big states. I mean, if you just look at population trends over this past couple of years, Everyone's moving to Texas and Florida, Texas being the, the front runner. However, property taxes are going up dramatically year after year in Texas, which makes it a challenge to actually cash flow. So we want to be in the path of progress and be in those areas. Florida is an area where you have a thousand people a day moving. The, the, all the builders combined cannot keep up with the housing demand. We, we right now are seeing the, the houses that are on market for both rental and resale are on the, we have the shortest amount of inventory that we've ever seen in history as, as well as the shortest amount of time on market for rentals and, and resales. And that's just simply a supply and demand. There's so many people moving there and there's a handful of different reasons for that. I mean, you, you have the sunshine and the good weather, you know, and coastal access, you have general affordability, at least for right now, at this point in time, there's no state income tax, landlord friendly legislation, so a lot of what we do is, is new construction in Florida. But in general, we're always looking for the markets that meet our, our standard criteria we talked about. Yeah. Is picking on Florida a little bit, what markets in Florida, like, like Florida, like California, like Texas, you have so many markets within that state. Are there any that 
are kind of on the opposite end of the trend that you're shying away from? Or is it kind of the whole state in mass is, is just on fire? I think to be quite honest, you could throw a dart at the map of Florida and, and probably be okay if you're investing. However, we do see certain areas uh, like Orlando, for instance, that the prices are starting to get rather um, rather aggressive and, and kind of hard to cash flow. But Florida's a big state. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of land and, and real estate that uh, you know you can participate in to be successful. Specifically with us, we're focusing on Southwest Florida. I mean, a lot of the new construction stuff that you guys are actually funding for us to build. You know, just to run through actual numbers, we're building these properties below three hundred thousand dollars. They're renting out between twenty three to twenty four hundred dollars a month. I mean, that's going to be a double digit cash flow return if you have long term debt with uh, you know th- those kind of numbers. But the big key is those properties are appraising usually between sixty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars more than we're, we're building them for. So, I mean, there's there's just so much growth and. I think that uh, if you're if you're looking at all those metrics being in areas that you're still building below the median house price point, rents are still uh, in the range that are going to allow you to cash flow, and you still have that kind of demand and, and appreciation to give you immediate equity. That creates a win-win scenario all around. Yeah, pulling back a little bit and just talking about kind of the U.S. as uh, moving more and more towards kind of that renter nation concept. You know the the traditional American dream, I think, is on the definition of the traditional American dream, right? That, that SFR home, white picket fence story uh, that everybody knows by heart. A little shaky footing, not not necessarily a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I think you look at other countries like you look at England, like the UK, that has relatively higher rental rate uh, than the US and other developed countries. And what do you think about the direction that the country's heading from a, a renter standpoint? Do you think that, you know, what, what, what pros and cons do you see assuming that uh, kind of the rental growth continues and build to rent is another you know thing that you touched on that in the last few years in our space uh, on the private lending side of the business, just money has been pouring into from the capital market side of the fence and by default, from the lending side of the fence, you have build to rent communities popping up all over the place. Whereas somebody would just build a house to rent out. You have entire communities, hundreds of SFRs that are are purpose built for this. So, you know, a very long winded question there, but to circle back to it, does everything seem good and fine with that direction? Or do we think there's uh, some, some downsides to that home ownership rate potentially decreasing over the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years? Well, from an investor perspective, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. When you when you have an increase in, in renter demographics. And it's, it's interesting because right now, Dalton Rector is seeing it on both sides of, of the, the age difference. So we're seeing your younger generations that are, it's less of a priority for them to own a house. They don't want to be locked down in a certain location. We're seeing more people working from home, moving, you know, at a higher rate and not transitioning to different, uh, different markets and with, you know, at a faster rate versus I'm going to, you know, buy a house and this is where I'm going to live for, you know, 20 plus years. That's, that's kind of a, an old mindset. People want to have access to amenities. The younger generations want to have access to certain things within the city that, that attract to them. And, and because of that, you know, they just don't have the, the same goals that, that we did as really as a country, but, you know, buying the single family house with, with the white picket fence, 
you know, I, I think that is an, an outdated thing. So we, we see rental increases increasing. That's causing higher rental demand. People are doing, investors are conscious of this and doing more of building the actual communities, building the, the rental properties that you know, we're participating in. In addition to that, we're seeing you know, millennials and younger generations actually investing in investment property before they own, own their own property. And so that's a good thing to see. The same thing with baby boomers. We're seeing a lot of the older generations that they have owned a house before. And in their, their point in their life, they don't want to anymore. They want to have the convenience and accessibility of having a rental property or potentially even a couple, a couple rentals or, or options to m- migrate around the, the country. So, I mean, this is something that we're definitely seeing and it's, it's happening now. From, from an investor's perspective, this is something to be conscious of, of what sort of things do you need in your rental property? What sort of amenities and areas are people migrating to and looking to, especially as they're working more remotely? Um, we've, we've seen a lot of this is in causing increased rental demand in, in really all locations. Yeah, and you, you touched on supply demand earlier, and that is, that's not something from a home buyer perspective. That supply piece is not going to be, quote unquote, fixed overnight or over the next 12 months or probably even 24 months, right? And especially you look at, uh, I, I think even the most optimistic estimate that hits is is in the three plus year mark, right? I mean, you look at even supply chain issues that we're still having today that for the foreseeable future, um, I mentioned this uh, very, very early on in the podcast, but I was out at a conference in Vegas talking with a pretty big vendor uh, for home builders. And they said their projections for materials were down 30% this year. And they were marking it for the same projection for 2022, just not expecting things to get better in, you know, what is now this year, 2022. So, you know, that, you know, assuming that that's spot on, you're not going to have a normalized supply chain until at the earliest, the tail end of 2022, uh, which just means that the supply demand imbalance, uh, and then you have the sheer number, right? Uh, anywhere from, you know, I've seen as low as 1.5, 1.8 million, up to many millions of homes uh, of a deficit that we have. So it seems like there's the rental piece is about as as true of a market fluctuation as there is. It's it's pretty simple on its head. It seems no. There's, I mean, that's kind of a lo- loaded question. There's our, you know, kind of a portion to talk about, but there's just, there's so, so much that's dynamic right now. These past few years, uh, talking about COVID and, you know, supply chain issues, there, there's a lot that is, that is concerning, but no doubt about it, we have in most markets and the markets that we focus on way more for housing demand than, than we can supply, than all the builders and um, people doing, you know, rental properties can supply collectively. Again, that's a good thing from an investor perspective because that means you're going going to have low vacancies. You're going to see increasing uh, rent amounts over time, and those are the areas that you want to be investing in in, in the path of progress. But uh, it's it's not getting any better. Um, you know, I, we we've seen over this past year, you, you need to be, I guess, agile and be able to strategically plan for how you're going to um, adapt to the changing and always changing circumstances. We've seen some of our uh, builder colleagues and competitors just stopped building until there was there, you know, some, some normalization and some of the materials. One thing that we did is actually pre-order a lot of stuff and have involvement in you know, concrete companies and lumber companies. We have some lots that we purchased that are just basically fill, fill yards for certain materials. And so there's certain things you can do to make sure that you're 
staying up to speed with with what that demand is. Is it more market driven or is it more purely product driven in terms of the the supplies? I would say both. I mean, obviously there's the inherent simple fact that people need a place to live, whether they're buying or, or renting, and there's just not that many options. Like for instance, if we focus on on Southwest Florida, what we're seeing is a lot of people are actually going under contract to purchase these if we're if we're building a house for retail sale. Once the slab is poured and you have multiple competitive um, cash offers for those purchases, because usually these are people that are leaving one of these really expensive coastal markets and they just sold their three to 1950s house for one point four million. You know, they can come and buy a much larger house in Florida for a fraction of that cost. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it. And then you couple that with the, the supply chain issues and, and what we've seen, especially with lumber and certain things over this past year. It's, it's been a challenge and it's continuing, but um, you just, again, you have to adapt and have a plan for it. And I think if, if you're able to figure it out, this is a very attractive time to be in the rental space, to be in the building space, especially. Yeah, the that migration from high cost of living to medium cost of living, uh, that's big. Uh, we're as I said, I'm two and a half hours away from Atlanta, which is kind of where my day job, Lima One Capital, where our company was founded, and we still have a really good presence and uh, monthly and annual loan production there, really strong foothold. And talking with folks there. They say that is a big driver of home prices. Not only do you have the supply issue, which is, is most everywhere in the country, but you have a large number of people leaving these uh, high cost of living markets, moving into, like you talked about, the Southeast, more more affordable regions, but rel- like, relatively speaking, medium cost of living compared to a Manhattan or San Francisco or a, uh, Austin, Texas, somewhere like that. And then you look at the you know, moves from Northeast to Florida. Uh, that's been another big one. So I think those are going to, that, that migration is going to keep happening, especially with the, the fact that work from home is here to stay to a much bigger degree than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, if there's anything that, I mean, big, big kind of shift in the workplace market that we've seen with COVID, it's, it's exactly that point, Dalton, is the simple fact that businesses are finding out that people can actually be more efficient and uh, they can cut a lot of overhead by having people work at home, you know, and, and really adapting to how are you going to do that? Even just zoom meetings are so much more prevalent right now. We should have invested in zoom stock or something uh, you know, back, back in the day, but you know, the, so that that's a big piece of it. And also I think uh, taxes are, are another driving factor. You have some of these areas where the state income tax is just climbing, climbing, and you couple that with, uh, the taxes on on all consumer goods in in that area, as well as the the national tax, which taxes aren't going down. You know, it's just just yeah. a simple fact of life. And so you can move to a state that has zero income tax and also has more affordability for for cost of living while having your high paying job in a different part of the country. It, it just makes sense. Yeah, I want to I want to switch gears with the little bit of time we have left. Can I pick your brain about self directed IRAs for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of people that uh, invest in real estate through self-directing their retirement or doing a solo 401k. And I think it's an exceptional way to add a little bit of diversity and participate in real estate through a retirement vehicle. Yeah, I, I first learned about this. I started at Lima One Capital six weeks after graduating college uh, as an underwriter in the long-term finance department. So I was underwriting 
uh, people and property or businesses and property for 30 year rental debt and closed our first, uh, I underwrote and closed our first loan that went to an SDIRA. And want to hear from you a little bit. I know there's uh, some some looming potential regulation changes, but first, just what's the explain it to me like I'm five difference of using an SDIRA versus a solo 401k or a 401k uh, compared to just an off the shelf entity, an LLC or something that's usually the 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 normal mo for a real estate investor. Absolutely. So the, the big benefit, just to kind of build this from the ground up, the big benefit of, of using a retirement vehicle or, or establishing one of these, um, taking an IRA or your, your traditional 401k and, and moving it into just reclassifying it really is, is what it is, moving it into a self-directed account or a solo 401k account. You work with a custodian to assist you with doing this. And so there's professionals that will evaluate your situation and tell you the necessary paperwork and steps you have to do to basically transition the account. And all that does is allow you to invest in other, other asset classes. Self-directed is a perfect name for the classification because it's giving you control. That's really what it's about is, is control of those retirement vehicles instead of just being isolated to investing in stocks, mutual funds, bonds, what have you to invest in other asset classes like real estate. Anyone that's investing in real estate should know that there's many different advantages to real estate and using leverage over time. I mean, when we talk about rental real estate, yes, we know houses are appreciating, but there's so many other benefits. I mean, we, we obviously have passive income through cash flow. You also have the tenant, you know, paying your loan down for you. Essentially, you're building equity over time. You're using leverage to stretch your capital further. And then you, you come with all these additional tax benefits. There's nothing else out there that compares to real estate. But going back to the, the retirement vehicle aspect of things, once you change the classification of your retirement vehicle to, say, a self-directed IRA, this allows you to invest in real estate and other assets and have some control. You still have that tax benefit under that classification, but there's certain things you need to be aware of in certain regulations. You need to use non-recourse lending, which means you're not personally liable. So it's actually a safer loan because it's just isolated to that particular property. But with that, there's different loan parameters. You know, you, you potentially might need a little bit more money down with non-recourse lending, different uh, varying interest rates. And that's why it's important to really work with professionals to see what all your options are but allows you to scale up using another, really, in my opinion, a retirement account is just another resource for you to scale up your portfolio. And this is something just like equity in a house. If someone wants to pull out a HELOC or use equity in their house to then reinvest in other properties, which many people have a lot of equity that's just stagnant sitting in their property right now, not because there is such a thing as return on equity. And if your equity is just being you know, sitting there not earning you a return, then your your return on equity would be zero. But with a self-directed IRA, you can take your retirement vehicle, be proactive and invest in real estate. All the income, I mean, there's certain things to be aware of that, you know, we would walk you through or any professional in the space to, to show you that your income needs to go back into the account, you know, and certain things like that. But it's an exceptional opportunity still applying the same tax benefits to invest in real estate and grow your portfolio beyond what you'd be able to otherwise. Yeah, I mean you at the beginning of this conversation you mentioned, you know, real estate and tax advantages being just beautifully linked together and this is a good way to come full circle on it and that it's tough to find uh, you have you have the 
SDIRA, you have the solo 401k, you have opportunity zones, you have a handful of items, vehicles, opportunities in the real estate world that just take that tax advantage to a completely higher degree. But to your point, uh, knowing whenever we on the kind of Lima One Capital lending side of the fence, when we first created a product for this, uh, this has been 2015, there are a lot of nuances that come with lending to kind of a, a tax advantaged account versus just a business entity that this is absolutely not something you should go it alone or try to figure it out on your own because uh, literally you have to follow the letter of the law. You talked about proceeds, how those get used, has to be a true non-recourse, not a limited recourse. Like There are a lot of I's that have to be dotted and T's that have to be crossed, but I'm a, a big believer in utilizing the the tax code to its fullest potential. <laughs> And that's that's so true, Dalton. I mean, if we look at Congress, right, you, you mentioned the point about impending changes potentially. And I mean, yes, that the, the tax code and, and really legislation will change over time. It's always a dynamic space. However, if we just look at where we've been as a country, most I mean, real estate has always been a protected place because Congress and there's a reason why 100 percent of Congress owns investment real estate. Right. And that will can that will continue to be the case. But the government imply certain tax codes to stimulate the economy. They, they want, that's how they influence the economy is, is through adjusting different tax codes. So by making it an advantage for real estate investors to participate in real estate and go out and borrow money and do things like this. I mean, that's, that's why the, the, the tax code is, is written the way it is. And you're absolutely correct. You need to have a professional walk you through exactly what all the options and regulations are. So you fully understand what the best option is for you. My two favorite things in real estate tax concerning wise is the uh, is doing a 1031 exchange and also cost segregation studies. I mean, there is, it's a very real possibility that you can continue to trade up and buy more real estate without av- ever having to pay capital gains. And you can pass that on in many cases to your to future generations to build generational wealth within those taxes are forgiven cost segregation studies, which is essentially accelerated depreciation. You can if you're an active investor and qualify as a real estate professional, you can very much wipe out your entire tax burden if you buy enough real estate every single year by taking accelerated depreciation. That's exactly what we do every single year. But you got to be aware of these things and be working with the right people to help you map out that plan. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, no better person to talk to about that than you and no better group than uh, Rent to Retirement. So tell the fine listeners of Real Estate of Things how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if if someone is interested to learn more about working with us to purchase turnkey properties or just wants to have an initial consultation to find out a little bit more about investing in different markets and how we work with each client to help them build their plan, they can simply go to our website. It's renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. They can call our 1-800 number, 1-800-311-6781 and reach out. The first thing we want to do with every single person is have a 30 minute consultation, go over your investment goals, criteria, your timeline, talk about the different opportunities available to you. We don't charge clients for anything, by the way, we don't charge people for consultations or, or any sort of uh, mentorship. We sell properties, we build and renovate um, turnkey properties. And so our income comes through the sale of those properties. All the advice and education and mentorship is absolutely free. We don't charge that for, for that at all. So um, we welcome anyone to reach out to us that would like to learn more. 
You do business the honest way. How beautiful and refreshing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, Zach, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dalton. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks to everybody for listening. Talk soon. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry, bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common-sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team, and that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.